Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Jennifer Slattery. And in this episode, I wanted to extend the conversation I initiated last week on courageously embracing risk, discussing first of all, others play in our courage stories, and then how to process times when maybe things don't go as we expected, because we cannot live the bold, history-making, deeply fulfilling life that Christ calls us to alone. And if we focus on results more than our intimacy with Christ, our surrender to Him, we'll kind of get tripped up as well. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Well, today I've invited writer Diane Mills to discuss the importance of finding allies with whom to link arms. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I am honored and I'm thrilled with this topic. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Well, Diane Mills is a best-selling author who believes her readers should expect an adventure. She's a storyteller and creates action-packed, suspense-filled novels to thrill readers. Her titles have appeared on the CBA and ECPA bestsellers list. They've won two Christie Awards and have been finalists for the Rita, the Daphne Dumar. Is that? Dumar. Okay. And the Inspirational Reader's Choice and Carol Award contest. So lots of awards. Diane is a founding board member of the American Christian Fiction Writers, which is how she and I know one another, a member of the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, and International Thriller Writers. Diane continues her passion for helping other writers be successful. She speaks to various groups and teaches writing workshops around the country. Now you can connect with her. I'll put in the show notes where you can find her online as well. And Diane, I know from when we have had conversations in the past that some time ago, God called you to embrace a significant risk. (laughs) Yes, it was January 20, I want to say 2017. What happened was I was mentoring a writing student at a coffee house and my husband was at another table and he approached the table. I thought he was just being friendly and he says, well, I have news. I no longer have a job. Wow. And I thought, and I'm trying to act like I have my act together, but I didn't. And uh, we went home and he said, I have an idea. We have always talked about what it would be like 
to do the writing ministry together and let's do it. And I'm, you know, my heart's pounding. I think I'm going to have to catch it before it leaps out of my chest. And he said, one year, let's just do it for one year and we'll see how it goes. I agreed reluctantly. Jennifer, I cried that whole year. Wow. I was scared. I didn't like the responsibility. And while I knew God was in control, God had this. And my husband is is such a, he's so opposite of me. I'm a dreamer. I'm a fiction writer. He's my tech guy. He makes sure that speaking contracts are fine and creates awesome banners and ads and videos and all those things. And I knew it was going to be okay, but I didn't. You know, our logic says one thing and our spiritual life says another. Well, at the end of the year, what I realized is there was more money in my account, our account, than there'd been in the past. It made no sense. Absolutely no sense. Well, we co- we compromised on some things. It It just seemed to work out so well. He had always worked at home. So the idea of working in close proximity was no issue. We'd always done that. And so at the end of the year, I said, okay, let's try it a little longer. And here it is, 2022, (laughs) about to be 2023. God knew what he was doing, but it took a risk, a scary, frightening risk. And one thing I want to say about this lovely topic of risk is that we are called as Christians to a life of risk. Yes. It's not about this life. Everything is eternal. And when I think about that and and what we went through that first year, the many times I cried and carried on like a toddler, but what we learned, the spiritual growth, marriage, so strong to begin with and continues to be even stronger. I keep telling him we ought to write a marriage book. (laughs) But one thing else I want to say is we have to be careful where we get our advice. There were those who said to my husband, what are you doing? What do you mean you're 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 not going to go right out and get a job. You know, you're you're putting way too much responsibility on Diane, not understanding that we were working together. And so we have to pray through not only what, what the risk is and how we can do it, but also who do we take our advice from? And some of that advice can come from good Christian people, but that doesn't mean it's the advice that God wants us to take. Very true. Well, I would like to kind of go back with, with that year of wrestling. What were some of of the fear specifically that you really battled? The monetary, the financial, that was the the biggest. That you couldn't provide? Yes. That I took on way too much responsibility that should have been God's, that I had a job to do, just like my husband had a job to do. And if it didn't work, it, it didn't work. You know, we would figure out the next step for God, you know, for God to guide us and direct us. And, but the monetary, me not being able to do my part, that was the scariest. Instead of thinking, God will provide for our needs as long as we're doing exactly what he wants us to do. My mind went, I don't, I can't provide for our needs financially. 
that was the hardest. I often tell our listeners, our, our fears, they lie to us. And they lie to us about God's power, his character, his desire and ability to care for us. And so I, I like to encourage people to kind of unpack. And, and I heard a little bit in you, like you were, what I heard you saying is you were tempted to believe the lie that you were responsible for your provisions and for your care instead of, or, or when you got courage was when you focused on, I said, no, I am not, I'm only responsible for obedience. God is my provider. And were there any truths in particular? So like during your, your time of wrestling that God really resonated in your soul? That it's the same line that we have heard so many times. It's a cliche. It's not about me. It's not about me. Never has been, never will be. My job is to take the gift that God's given me, keep my tools sharp, always learning, always doing the best I can, always moving forward so that I can give my message of the gospel through a story through a non-threatening environment to others. And I had to keep repeating that and repeating it. My, my life verse, which has always been very powerful, and I hesitate to say this because many times, if anything will bring me to tears, it's reciting my life verse. Jeremiah 29. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I made that. <laughs> I made it without <laughs> tears. Not that that wouldn't have been okay. But that also sustained me because it, it gives me what I'm supposed to do, just like God has projects and initiatives and things that my husband does that I, I either don't know how, don't have time, or wouldn't be able to do it with the excellence that he does. Yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned a lot that you and your husband, you know, you linked arms to to take this next step in your journey. So how did you, in those moments of uncertainty or fear or whatever, how did you guys support one another? What did that look like? Prayer all the time together. That's one thing we do is prayer. And the, I'm trying to remember the phrase in Ecclesiastics, not the phrase, the verse, that a two... Better than one. Yes. 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 And a strand of three cannot be broken. And so when he might be down about something, I could bring him up. Uh, but mostly it was the other way around. I'm the the writer who tends the to... The emotive one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was usually him bringing me back up. But the celebration times, the, the vacations we were able to take, everything that we had been able to do before, we still did. And, it ha- and you know, it's miraculous, but that's the way our God works. You know, in the Bible, there's the story about Elizabeth and Zachariah and how Elizabeth was older. She hadn't ever conceived it was a disgrace during that time, that culture. And when Zechariah was in the temple giving the, the feast, an angel told him you know, that Elizabeth was going to have a baby. And, he, you know, he was me. He said, how can this happen? That's crazy. And so he couldn't speak. And so I look at that and Elizabeth and Zechariah switched genders. And that was... That was me and that was me. And 
So we did together give birth to more stories and reach out and influence people. And that that ability was really a huge, huge growth opportunity. Uh, I've, I've been able since then to look at the severe challenges of life as, no, I'm not going to look at it in this form. It is a growth opportunity. I think I need to write a blog post about it. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com. <laughs> That's awesome. When I, I love actually that you mentioned the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so they were John the Baptist's parents, actually. And when I think of that story and, and him, when he didn't believe, and then he lost his ability temporarily to speak, and, and some scholars think probably to his ability to hear as well. And I can't help but wonder if that was a bit of a protection for both Zechariah and Elizabeth so that Zechariah wouldn't speak his doubts and his fears into Elizabeth. You can imagine if you've never been pregnant before and you're, and they were kind of prominent people, you know, as, as him being a religious leader, prominent people in the culture. And so people would expect her to be blessed with children because they associated God's blessing, right, with children. And the fear of maybe miscarriage, the fear mm-hmm. of maybe it wasn't, maybe she, it didn't really take, you know, and, and just all of the things that they wrestled with. And then, but building into that and, and maybe giving Zachariah a period of silence where he couldn't speak his fears out loud and then have someone confirm, you know, have you ever done that? Like you're, you're, you share mm-hmm. a doubt with someone and like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really hard. That's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not really what you need at all. You need honest bluntness. And spiritual wisdom, not, oh, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think to your point is just watching who we allow, being careful who we allow to speak into our lives and being selective about that. Well, I, I love that you have your husband with that. And so just tell us, you know, you talked briefly about how that grew you and grew your intimacy with Christ. So what did that kind of look like just during that time? The more... I read the Bible and prayed the more I hunger and thirst, and that has continued. It is a need in me that is stronger. I, I say this, and I don't want to sound over dramatic. It is a need within me that I really don't have the words to express, except I understand how and why people fast and have been there. And we understand that, that the need for God grows and grows. And he's always speaking something new, something exciting, something. Oh my gosh, how many times have I read that verse? And I never saw that aspect. Uh, I was reading a verse yesterday uh, and it was after a friend had meant to say something uplifting, but in fact, it wasn't. Mm. And it was a verse in Jeremiah about, you know, beware what your parents are, 
what your parents wear, what your friends say. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that was just at the appropriate time. I think the word discernment is probably one of the most difficult traits of a Christian to use to employ, to practice. Mm -hmm. Well, I love how, so when people said things to you or when you were struggling, you went to like scripture, which is always objective, always true, always a perfect guy. Well, I I really appreciate you talking to us today and we're going to put her, her contact information in our, in our show notes. So Diane, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This has been a pleasure. And what I want to say to your listeners is do not be afraid to take a risk because if God's in charge, he is walking with you all the way through it. Amen. And that's the best gift of all, right? It's just that intimacy with the father. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode. Make sure to share it with your friends. And we encourage you to rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Steve, thank you for being with us today. No problem. He's going to share a time when he embraced, he courageously took a risk that affected not only him, but that also affected our entire family. And for a while, it didn't seem to turn out quite so well, and so Steve, if you can just kind of give us some backstory of just what was our life like, our marriage like, your work environment like back in. So let's go all the way back to 2000, I don't know, the year 2000, like that whole time period. What? How would you have characterized our marriage? It was uh, rough. We sat in a do- divorce lawyer's office at contemplating divorce. So it was, we were in a tough place. We were in a tough place financially. True. With our relationship, what was what was your work environment like? It was horrible. My work-life balance was horrible. Spending a lot of time on the road, you know, driving back and forth because of the L.A. traffic. You're on uh, call constantly. On call, yes. It was, it was very rough. I could remember you could get a call in the middle of the night to have to go. So he worked for the railroad to have to go check out a derailment. And you could be up with that derailment and then just have to go straight to work. So your sleeping schedule was highly disrupted as well. And so when you came home, from my perspective, you really didn't have energy for our daughter and I is kind of how I I felt like. And I felt like, and I remember feeling. That's, that's true. I mean, I was, I was tired. Yeah. And stressed, I think. Definitely very high stress. And I remember feeling like work always won and I always lost. And, and that's a, that's. I say that because it's just amazing how God kind of changed our dynamics where I I would never say that anymore. So we went on a vacation, what, in 2004? 2004. Okay, so you you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior in 2002. Correct. And then you got baptized. Correct. And would you say that's when kind of things really started to shift in your world? Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, then we went to Crown Financial. And so, yeah, the vacation, I read a book on vacation. It was in Washington on the coast. I mean, it was uh, very inspirational and made me rethink my life and my job. What was going on? Was was I doing the right thing? Well, I'll give it back because I read the book too. And I remember watching you and I know it was a great book. It it did impact me, but it captivated you. And I got to say, he's not a big reader. Like I might read like a billion books in like a week, but you're not a huge reader typically. No, but you didn't at all. You did not put this book down. Like you finished it in three days. Correct. 
And I could tell, I just knew, and I think that was God's grace to me too. I just knew God was doing something deep in your soul. So it's kind of like my hands off. But the book basically, to give a background, the author was in a similar work environment to you high stress, a lot of hours. He went on vacation and like three days into his vacation, we are on vacation, he's on vacation. Three days into his vacation, his pulse is racing because he just cannot settle down. His stress level was so high. And he realized he didn't know his wife, really. He didn't know God, really. And he didn't know his kids. And so he, and he sensed God calling him to quit his job, to sell everything and to move up in the mountain somewhere with his family. And then the rest of the book, and and he did. And the rest of the book is just this process of him learning to recognize God's voice. That was pretty big. And I saw that in you, like I was watching kind of the same progression and then having the courage to obey and then seeing God show up when he did obey and then just kind of strengthen the next each next step and i remember so you read the book and you didn't put it down and then we're driving home and what's kind of going on just internally with you driving Uh, from the airport i should say yeah well i was listening to third day and a song that they had going on i was i can't remember the name of the song it's either take my life i think it's take my life something Mm -hmm. yeah you listen to over and over and over and over like on repeat yeah it was it was i think helping to reinforce that i wanted to change. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to find another job that was better work-life balance. Was that frightening? Oh, no doubt. Because you're changing. You're, you worry about what the new job's going to be like. Are, are the hours are going to be any better? Is your boss going to be any better? Is the money going to be any better? Is it going to be any better for your family at a new location? Are they going to make friends? And we were pretty deeply connected at that time. At the church that we're going to and with friends. and Yeah, yeah. And for me, this was a really difficult move because that was the first place I'd ever felt safe after my time on the streets. And so I had this this church home that kind of took me under their wing and, and I experienced some healing and some grace there. And then we homeschooled at the time. So we had a pretty large homeschool community, very active, very, very grace-filled and loving. And so it felt like yanking up roots for me. And so then we, we moved. So we moved to Louisiana. You took a job with a different railroad. Correct. And you thought it was going to be amazing, right? I mean, it, well, it started for, out that way. And then they got a new executive. I want to say about six months into the, my job, their new executive hired on and, and he made my life difficult. And when he asked me to do something that I had, I had made my mind up that I was not going to do no matter what. And when they asked me to do that, I'm like, mm, I quit. Yeah. So there was a lot of, if my memory is correct, a lot of kind of old school bullying from the bosses. Like when they got mad, they kind of had this punishing behavior. You're going to go ride trains. Go right. Yeah. So it was it was a very hostile, toxic environment. Correct. Once he came on, it became that way. And so you quit. So I quit. And you didn't have another job. Did not. And you started looking for a job. Not very successful. (laughs) And so what was going on in, in like... Remember, I was I was teaching, <laughs> and that was rough. I thought that was going to be a good job. Ooh. Substitute those, teaching is challenging, yes. Yeah, yes. those teachers, ooh, they, they learn, they need a lot more money than they do now. <laughs> and so, so that was about, I mean, from my perspective, there was about a three-year transition where it just felt like a lot of uncertainty, a lot of upheaval. And I remember during that time, so you were driving back and forth, you got a 
part or contract work short term in San Antonio, which was about six hours away. So you would drive there during and you'd work during the week and then you would come back, I think, like Friday night after work. And Mm -hmm. and so you were gone and I'm kind of wrestling. So at the time, I don't have a job. I don't have a college degree. And so I felt like I had no marketable feet to stand on to to in to help. And I went to church and the pastor was giving a sermon. It was a series actually on Joseph. Now, are you familiar with Joseph from... Was this in Louisiana? This was in Louisiana. And so just a little backstory. So Joseph is in the Old Testament and he was the one of 12 brothers. He was born to the one of the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. And, and he came from a really dysfunctional family. Like his father favored him. His brothers knew it. And his brothers were very jealous, homicidal, homicidal murderously so. And in a way I can understand, I think that's a deep wound to feel like your father doesn't care for you and, and to feel, I mean, that that's a pretty deep soul wound. Anyway, so they ended up overpowering him, throwing him in a cistern, selling him into slavery. He goes to Egypt and he works for a guy for a while. Then he's falsely accused. He's put in a dungeon and eventually God raises him up to second in command of all Egypt during a time of famine. And his brothers come to him needing food. They need to come to the the one who they betrayed and abused and abandoned, and they, they're forced to ask for mercy. And he gives it to them graciously, and he forgives them abundantly, like without any reservation, without any, any malice in his heart. And I, I've always wondered, looking at that story, if it ever clicked in their mind, when they think back, God had given Joseph this dream back when he was a teenager, that he was basically going to be in a place of leadership. So the brothers were jealous and they reacted. But then you fast forward, and I, I wonder if it ever clicked that for them to realize God was blessing Joseph, raising him up in this position so that he could be a blessing for them. So really, in that whole transition or that whole period, even the parts that felt really painful t- to them, that they saw as evil and terrible, was God's setting up grace for them. And so that was the story that our pastor was telling. He made one comment that I really held tight to during that time. And that even I'll remind myself later, but he said, God will fight for your family. And I have to remind myself that when we fight our battles God's way, he fights on our behalf. So we can fight it in our own way, right? Like during that time when you were without a job, I could nag and pester and belittle and push and try to control. And and that's my way, right? And that would just lead to destruction and pain and dysfunction. Or I could say, okay, God, I'm going to fight this your way. Well, how do we fight battles God's way? I mean, what what are some things we did during that time when we like, we're going to fight this God's way? Listen, and then we prayed as a family. We read devotions. I remember I found, we found devotions. We started coming together as a family. And because of that, I feel like God just did so many transformational things. Like in you, I began to see you set boundaries I saw you set boundaries for the first time, I think, in my marriage, and I saw you fight for our family in a way I never had before that I could look back on and say, okay, he fought for me even during hard times. I'm like, well, no, he loves you. He fought for you. And I think we showed our daughter that when times get tough, we come together and we turn to Jesus. And I'm looking back, like, even if God hadn't restored, he restored so much. And, you know, you went back to your original job, right? Mm -hmm. And now you're retired and, and we're doing well. But even if... Even if we had, even if he hadn't restored all those things, it would still be worth it for those precious moments. And there's one thing I remember too during that time. So we homeschooled and you took that over for a bit when you weren't not working. And that was precious time with your daughter. No doubt. That nobody can take that from you. Like that, that is 
investment into our soul for like, nobody can take that away. So I think that's very precious. And I want to read actually the end of Joseph's story. So this is in Genesis 50. And I'll start in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also, the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And so we see this ripple effect of healing, of transformation. When I hear that part of the story, it's like the brother, he'd forgiven them before, but they didn't receive it. They're like, you know what? You don't really forgive us. There's like a, there's like a hint of bitterness. And now that our dad's dead, you're going to come after us. And I, I feel like that's the moment when they receive. I'm going to backtrack. I think that's one of the reasons too. It's so important that we not judge our stories too quickly because let's say year two in that three year period. If somebody asks you, Hey, how did everything turn out? Like, how'd your obedience work out for you? It would have looked like a mess, but actually I, I think I would have said, you know, Hey, I'm listening to God. I'm trying to grow and hopefully we're headed in the right direction. I agree with that. So I, but I think my point being is if you try to judge our story too quickly, we don't have the full picture. Joseph's story took a really long time for him to see the blessing. Our story, it felt like it took forever. was only really like three years. And we're still, I think, so how many years have we been married? 27. 27. And that was 17, about 17 years ago. That we were in Louisiana. Yes. And our marriage was such a mess. And I felt lonely. I think you probably felt lonely. And now I would say you're my favorite person in the whole world. And I don't mean to sound gushy or whatever, but I feel like we have no secrets. We have no fear. We have no hidden agendas. We have no distrust. True. And so- that to me is worth, even if we would have lost our house and never had another house, or even if you would have worked a bunch of jobs. But I, I like what your point is. What I heard you say is you knew you did the hard right thing. Correct. So however things turned out didn't matter. Correct. I think that's a good point because anytime we attach conditions to our obedience, which if we're expecting a certain outcome, that is a condition. Anytime we attach conditions to our obedience, that's disobedience. Conditional obedience is disobedience. Now let's just look at the ripple effect. I was a mess when we were in Louisiana. I was, I mean, just in every shape of the word, I had so many triggers and reactive, you know, just issues. I just had a lot of issues. I would not be leading a ministry right now to wounded, you know, largely we, we speak to wounded people who are kind of in their own transitional periods or dealing with past hurts. I don't think this podcast would, I know this podcast wouldn't exist because I'd still be stuck in my mess. I don't know where Ashley would be. And now she's serving in ministry and her husband is serving in ministry and you're serving in ministry. Like just this, this ripple effect. When we make the hard right 
choice. We have no idea where God's going to take us. Right. Or how many lives he is going to transform. So, Steve, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Love doing it. I love you. I love you, too. And thank you for taking making the hard right choice. To our listeners, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode and make sure to rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing. I'd like to invite you to my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You, featuring encouraging guests like Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, Dan Cathy, the late Dr. Frank Menrith, Josh McDowell, and more. To subscribe to my weekly Encouragement for You podcast, go to lifeaudio.com. That's lifeaudio.com.